Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. You may be seated. Open the Bible to John 15, verse 1. John 15, verse 1. We're continuing with our Grow series. I started off the first week, and then last week, the first lady brought it home. Amen. If you weren't here for Mother's Day, you have to listen to that message, amen? Said, your opportunity is unique. And talk to you how you can't be afraid of work. Some of you need to listen to that message again already. So John 15, verse 1. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, the gardener. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean or purged through the word which I have spoken unto you. To do a little bit of review, and if you need the notes, you can download them from the Bible app under the events section. Jesus is sitting at the dinner table with his disciples at the Last Supper, preparing to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has left the room, and Jesus tells Peter he will deny him. John 14, 15, and 16 is the last message that Jesus teaches his disciples before the cross. In this message, Jesus explains the expectation for those who believe in him to bear fruit or to produce. Here's the areas that God wants believers to produce in or grow in. God expects you to grow in character. Say character. He expects you to develop disciples. Say disciples and produce according to your purpose. Last week's message, the first lady was talking about your opportunity is unique. So the opportunity God gives you, you have to work your land, you have to work that opportunity because when you do, you will produce according to your purpose. So we see in this parable that God the Father is the gardener and that word purge means to clean or to prune. A lot of people imagine God in many different ways, but many don't imagine him as a gardener clipping off dead branches from your life. But Jesus says this is exactly what he's like. When I was researching pruning, we talked about in the first week that when it comes to pruning grapes, the most common mistake people make is not pruning hard enough. Light pruning doesn't promote adequate fruiting, whereas heavy pruning provides the greatest quality of grapes. Notice, you can lightly prune and still get grapes. But if you heavily prune, the quality of what is produced is better. Knowing how to prune grapes can make the difference between a good crop and a bad one. When pruning grapes, you'll want to cut off as much of the old wood as possible. This will encourage the growth of new wood, which is where the fruit is produced. So as we looked at the first week of this month, how does God prune believers? Through tragedy, disaster, death, or some type of evil? No, because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 3 tells you how God prunes believers. He prunes believers through his word. So he's not going to send some type of sickness on you to teach you something. He's not going to give you cancer to make you learn a lesson. For all that religion, people say, well, God made me sick to teach me something. But then they go to the hospital to get better. So you either believe you're supposed to be well or you're supposed to be learning something. See, religion doesn't make sense. God will not put sickness and disease on you to teach you something. If he's going to teach his children, or even if he's going to chastise or correct his children, it will be through the word of God. 
The word is God's instrument for correction. That's why when you listen to the word being preached or the word being taught or the word presented, it can cut you in a way that nothing else can. That if you're open enough, you'll hear in your heart going, ooh, I need to change that. Oh, I need to change that. People said, like in church, oh, they're stepping all over my toes. We'll pull your toes back in. The word is how God will correct you. So if we're going to receive the correction from God so that we can be pruned, so we can produce more on a higher level at a better quality, we always have to make, uh, make sure we're in position to receive the word. So we talked about reading the word every day. But that's just not enough. You also need to have the word preached to you every day. Now, if we said this hundreds of years ago, people would like, well, say, how could that happen? We don't have church every day. But the thing is, we have technology. And one of the reasons we put all the podcasts of the messages we preach here up for free is so that you can listen wherever you are throughout your week. You can have the word of God on demand. So you can came to church on Sunday, you wake up Monday morning, you read your chapter a day, and then you can turn on a message and listen to it as you drive to work. Why? The word is still pruning you. Well, put, put yourself in a position to always receive the word from God, especially if you're in a trying season or if you're in your season where you're always pouring out. If you're always pouring out or in a trying season, you need to up the level of words you get. Don't just rely on, well, I did this in the past and it worked, but if you're in a trying season, go more. Do more. Because if you want to grow and go further, sometimes you have to do more than what you did before. So God will purge us, he will cleanse us through the word. Verse four, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. The word abide means to stay, to continue, to dwell, to remain. It means to stay, to continue, to dwell, to remain. Because I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do what are you trying to do without Jesus? Because when it's all said and done, it will end up being nothing. In this life, but also the next one. Because see, if you're born again, you're following Jesus, the question is not for you, am I going to heaven? The question will be, what will my reward look like when I stand before the throne of Christ? Because you can live a good life and do a whole bunch of good things, but if you don't do what Jesus told you to do, you can have before him all of this wood, hay, and stubble. That's not bad things. Those are good things that God didn't call you to do. And so when you stand before him, it all disappears in smoke, and you're left with nothing. It uses the phrase in Paul's letter as though you're saved by fire. So if a fire ravages a house or apartment, but the person escapes, the most important thing escaped, the person, right? So you can stand at the throne of God. You're not going to hell. You've escaped. You're going to heaven, but you have nothing to show from your life on earth. It's not because you weren't a good person. It wasn't because you weren't nice. It wasn't because you didn't attend church. It's because you didn't do what he told you to do. And if you want to have something at that day, you have to do what he told you to do. Because the gold, the silver, the precious stones are what remains. And you just walk around going, well, look at me. I lived my life right on earth. You didn't. Ha ha, 
I look good, you look broke. No, because I get this reward. I get these crowns, the five different crowns that are available to the believer the New Testament teaches. But then I have something I can lay at the feet of Jesus. All my life I've been giving my tithes, my offering, my seed, my life. But when I get to him, I have something physical I can put in my hands and cast it at his feet and declare he is worthy. I'm living to give Jesus an offering when I see him. That I have my life, sir, here it is. I lived it to the best of my ability with your grace in me, your grace upon me. This is what I have done, so I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. For you alone are worthy for me to live my life that way. Because I'm living here well done, thou good and faithful servant. So the verse 6, if a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and he is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. A key to getting your prayers answered is abiding. So maybe if what you're praying for hasn't come to pass yet, is to check if you are abiding. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Let the word prune us some more. And you may run into something when the word is preached that your honest reaction is, you may not say it out loud, but you said on the inside, Lord, I just can't do that. That is beyond where I am in my spiritual walk. Have any of you ever had that moment before? I was listening to a message this week, and I had that moment on the inside. I even said on the inside, I just can't do that, Jesus. But I didn't stop there. I said, Lord, get me to the place where I can. Because you can be honest with your place as I'm not living that right now. That's hard for me to get to. But God, through your grace and ability, I choose to obey, so that's what I'm going to do. You told me to do it, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm honest enough to know where I am today, but I know where I want God to take me tomorrow. So 1 John chapter 4, before we read that, I have a question for you. It's not a trick question. Am I in the tent? So that's not a trick question, so you can answer. So it's either yes or no. Am I in the tent? I said it's not a trick question. (laughs) Can you see me? I'm under the tent. I'm in the tent. I'm technically dwelling in the tent. I'm abiding in the tent, right? Am I in the tent now? Am I dwelling in the tent now? Am I abiding in the tent now? Am I under the tent now? First John chapter 4. <laughs> Y'all are like, Pastor's got a trick question. I know it. No. <laughs> 1 John 4, verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. How do you know that you dwell in God and God dwells in you? Because he has given us of his spirit. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. 
The moment you make that confession of belief, God moves on the inside of you, and you move inside of God. Go to 2 Corinthians 6.16. The word dwell, of course, means to live. 2 Corinthians 6.16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. We'll go through a lot of notes today so you can download it from the Bible app or if you don't have it by then just check our Facebook page later and click the link and you can download it to your device as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16 and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Say I am the temple of the living God. Then it says and as God has said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we already saw that when you're born again, God moves on the inside of you. He dwells on the inside of you. He lives on the inside of you. But my question to you today, is God at home in you, or is he just a guest? Because see, the thing is, we all have different approaches. You can go visit somebody's house, even if they're your friends, but you understand you are a guest. So that, you know that you're only allowed into certain rooms. You don't just go, go exploring people. Ooh, I wonder what's behind this door. Oh, I wonder what's over there. I wonder what's down there. No, you are a guest, right? Even I remember growing up, all the grandkids couldn't go to certain rooms of our grandma's houses. Why? Because there are certain rooms, especially I remember that white room, it's off limits. Because we're not going to walk through a room who knows if our hands are clean, and it's all white in there and beautiful. And in order to keep it white and beautiful, the kids can't go in there, right? And so there's limitations of what rooms you can go in depending on the access you have in a house. But if you are allowed into every room, and they say, act like you're at home, that's a little bit different. So if I go to my parents' house in Michigan today, I'm not concerned, can I go into the refrigerator? Oh, what would they think if I get some food out of the refrigerator? I'm going to get some food out of the refrigerator. See, my dad has his favorite coffee cups that he says they're just for him. He's probably watching right now, hey. And so you know when I go home what cups I use? His coffee cups. Purposefully. <laughs> Why? I'm at home. See, when you go home, although you may expect everybody to sit in the chairs proper, but when no one else is there, you're kind of comfortable. You tell everybody else, don't put, some, don't put your shoes on my couch, but your shoes, your feet may be on that couch. Why? You're at home. What access have you given God in your life? Is he just a guest? Do you just limit him so you can go into this room but not these rooms? Or you say, God, make yourself at home in me. Because if you do that, that means he has to have all access. See, if you're certain employees, certain corporations or governments, you have different levels of access. You can have a level one clearance. 
You can have a higher clearance. You can have a clearance where you get all the information. You have access to every area. But too many of us say, God, I want you to stay in my church life. See, one of the things that we have done, especially in this millennial generation, we are great at compartmentalization. We have our church life. If you go to school, we have our school life. We have our work life. We have our home life. We have our Facebook life. We have our Twitter life. We have our Instagram life. We have our Snapchat life. Everything is broken up to different places, and they're not all the same. And so when we've compartmentalized our life, we've compartmentalized our beliefs. So it's like, well, I'll act one way in church, but I'll post whatever I want on Facebook. I'll tweet whatever I want here. I'll do all these different things because somehow on my mind, I've justified I can be different in all these places. And so when we let God in our lives, we say, God, you can stay in this room, in this box, get comfortable in this small little spot because you can't go into the rest of this place. So oh, I'd never say that. Yeah, you would. Let the word correct your politics. <gasps> I can't believe a preacher talked about politics. If the preacher said the word, then he should. And don't think, oh, that means pastor such and such. Oh, y'all won't be able to figure out what I am. Because you give me opportunity, I correct both sides and the middle. The word has something to say about both sides. And I actually preached it last year without titles. I talked about both sides. I just didn't say it so y'all don't go, pastors voted for so-and-so. Y'all have no idea who I voted for. You will never know who I voted for. Because I'm not up here saying, vote for somebody. No, I'm up here saying, you better follow this book. Because when it all comes down to it, your faith can't be in an elephant or a donkey. Because they can't save you. They can tax you, make rules over your life, but they can't save you. What did Jesus say in Mark 11? Have faith in God. Not have faith in donkeys and elephants. So what about the White House? Have faith in God. What about the Congress? Have faith in God. What about the Supreme Court? Have faith in God. What about the economy? Have faith in God, period. How do you know if you have faith in God or one of these other institutions? When one of these institutions does something you don't like, do you spiral out of control or do you respond, that's okay, my God will see me through and make it right? Have faith in God. So I'm going to give you four different things about dwelling and abiding today. This tent has four poles it's based off of, so I'm going to give you four today to make sure you are dwelling and abiding. So number one, allow God access to all areas of your life. Give him full clearance. Give him access to every area of your life. Don't wall off anything. Because even though it's 2017, it doesn't mean God has nothing to say about your sex life. So, oh, it's changed because it's 2017. No, it didn't. Sin is still sin. Now, before we start thinking, well, he's talking about that sin, all sin is sin. So stop judging people because they sin differently than you do. 
See, it's time out for laughing at the homosexual and laughing with the fornicator. And then we judge everybody. But see, Jesus says don't unrightfully judge because with the same measure that you judge, you shall be judged. It says judge fruit, not people. So what happens when you judge people by unrighteous standards, that same judgment comes back on you. And you will be put in that same position and you'll make that same mistake. So don't ever say, if I was them, I would never do that. You know what you do? You judge them. And why did you say something like that? You're trying to prove yourself right in somebody else's eyes. So your self-righteous judgment produces judgment for you. That doesn't mean you don't walk in holiness. That means you walk in holiness by walking in love. And you examine yourself, as we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 11. And you judge yourself so you won't be. Allow God every access to your life. Keep depositing the word in your heart till it becomes saints. So you put the word so much in you that when you live, the word speaks to you. The word echoes in your mind. That when you're about to make decisions, the word comes up. So number one, allow God access to all areas of your life. Give him full clearance. Number two, increase your awareness that God lives in you. Number two, increase your awareness that God lives in you. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll look at verse 5. Number two, increase your awareness that God lives in you. How do you do that? In thought, in word, in action, in prayer, and in worship. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways, not some of your ways, every way. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. One of the ways to increase your awareness that God lives in you and you are in God is by talking about it. You should begin today by looking in the mirror and says, God lives in me. God lives in that person right there. Because if you continually say it, you will believe it. You have a habit of believing whatever you say. You could be crazy, but you believe yourself. Have you ever seen people who are just off? They believe whatever they say. They could be off. They said they're not in left field. They're in a soccer stadium across the city. But they believe whatever they say. It's the power of your words. So you need to say every day, God lives on the inside of me. I remember when my niece was younger, I think she was five or six, we were reading a Bible story one time. We're going over the story of David, how he took down Goliath. I said, how did he do that? She said, because God was with him. Because I wanted her to get that fact that if God is with me, if God is in me, there's nothing I can't do. If God is with you, if God is in you, there's nothing you can't do. So increase your awareness that God lives in you. Go to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3.15. This prayer as well as the prayer in Ephesians 1 
In Philippians 1 and Colossians 1 are prayers I pray for you every single day. This is a prayer you should pray for yourself and your family and your church and me every single day. Let's look at what it says. Ephesians 3.15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with my bite, his spirit and the inner man, that Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing may dwell in your hearts by faith. Wait a minute. I thought once I was born again, Jesus and his anointing moved on the inside of me. Didn't we just read that? Then why would Paul pray that Christ, his anointing, would dwell in my heart by faith? I thought he was already there. But how much you receive the manifestation or the benefits of God's indwelling presence is connected to your faith or connected to how much you believe that God is on the inside of you. Because if you don't believe that at a high level, you won't receive high manifestation of it. Because one of the things I believe, that when I lay hands on people in the name of Jesus, in his authority and his character, I'm not going to get the results of the hands of this 30-year-old man. I believe I'll get the results as if Jesus of Nazareth stood here and put his hands on that person. Why? Because when I say in the name, I'm stopped saying I'm not coming as Carrick, I'm coming as Jesus. Why? Because I'm not coming in my own name. I'm not coming in my own authority and character. I'm coming in his name. It has to affect your action. So your faith, next, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and limb and death and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This speaks to many things. One, your spiritual capacity. Your spiritual capacity can expand to the point where you can contain the fullness of God. Two, it's connected, we are said to your faith. Three, to how much do you believe that God loves you? Because if you don't believe God loves you, you don't want to be filled with him. Who wants a house filled with people that don't like them? I was about to make some home jokes, but I'm going to let that go aside and wait for the family series. You have to believe in the love of God towards you. You have to believe that he loves you. Because what happens is people run away from God because they think God's mad at them. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. You know, what annoys me a lot is I go to sports games or different events and there's someone standing on a truck or hold up a sign, God hates you, God's mad at you, God doesn't like you. And the thing is, that makes me more angry than sinners. Why? Because why are they going to come talk to you? Why are they going to come to God if they don't think God likes them? I'm thinking about this. I actually might do it. Going up there with a sign, God loves you. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. Because what draws people? It says the goodness of God draws men to repentance. And the thing is, if God was mad at them, he would have never sent Jesus for them. He loves everyone. And he wants to give everyone the opportunity of heaven. Everyone the opportunity to experience his goodness. He loves them so much, he won't make them. But he'll give them a choice. When Adam sinned, Satan took mankind and forced them. 
When God sent Jesus, he demanded that every man had a choice. Go to, well, I'll talk about Colossians 1.27. Talks about the mystery of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So faith is connected to how much you experience. How much you believe God loves you is connected to how much you experience. But hope means confident expectation or cheerful anticipation. So if you really believe God lives on the inside of you, if you really believe that God loves you, you're in constant expectation of seeing the glory of God, the goodness of God, the power of God manifest in your life. Why? Because you, he loves you and he's not far away. So think about how you pray when you go to pray later on today and tomorrow morning. When you're on your knees praying, when you're walking or praying, or however you pray, are you imagining God somewhere far away up in heaven on a throne somewhere? He is there. But he's closer than your prayer because he's in here. You have to begin seeing Jesus as living on the inside of you like the Bible says. Because those who have that revelation do more for the kingdom of God. Because if you always think God's somewhere far, far away, how can he help me in time? No, God's already on the inside of you. So you're not just saying help is on the way, help's already here, he's on the inside of you. Psalm 22.3 says God inhabits the praises of his people. So another level of experiencing the benefits of God's indwelling presence is being a person of praise and worship. Don't just sing the praise and worship songs when you come to church. Praise and worship God every day. Begin your day in thanking him for his goodness that you saw another day. Thank him throughout the day. Be a person of gratitude. Be a person of thankfulness because he inhabits the praises of his people. So you have to believe that he lives in you. You have to believe that he loves you. You have to begin to praise and worship him if you expect to walk in his presence and you have to talk like it. Go to John 14. So we said allow God access to all areas of your life. Give him full clearance. We said increase your awareness that God lives on the inside of you. John 14, still part of the same message we're reading in John 15. Jesus says starting in verse Actually, verse 8 says, Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long with you, and you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? We need to get to a point that when people see us, they see Jesus. That we're walking in all that redemption has provided to a point when people do a double take. They don't know if they saw you or they saw the risen Messiah that's available to you. But you have to grow in your awareness of him. Because notice what Jesus said, believe now that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sakes. So wait a minute, this verse seems very similar to 1 John 4. We live in God, God lives in us. What is Jesus saying? The Father lives in me, I live in him. So you see the same thing? How many agree this is the same thing? So look at verse 12. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Notice Jesus said, I do all these works because I'm Jesus. He says, the Father who lives in me, he does the works. So you can do the same works Jesus did and greater because Jesus gave you the same setup he did. Go to John 15. We'll keep going. So abide in me and I in you, verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. So my next question for you today is, are you abiding or remaining connected to God? So we know where you dwell and where God dwells, but too many believers, I'm in church, so I'm dwelling. Not today, Satan. I'm dwelling. Got a club a little bit. Dwelling. No one can see what I look at on the internet. Dwelling. I can't believe they cut me off. You bleep, 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 bleep. Dwelling. Too often that is the Christian life. In and out, in and out. But Psalm 91 is for those who dwell in the secret place. We want all the promises of Psalm 91, but we refuse to dwell. Remember Jesus said, if you remain connected, you produce much fruit. But if you're not connected, you wither up, you dry up. He doesn't say he casts you in the fire, but those who dry up, that's what all they do. They get thrown away because there's no produce anymore. There's so many Christians, they are saved, they're going to heaven, but they're not living connected, so they don't produce, so they are dry, and they are withered, and they look like the world. My question for you saying is not are you going to heaven, but are you producing for Jesus on the earth? Are you growing in character? Are you developing disciples? Are you producing according to your purpose? You can only do those things if you remain connected. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 in the message version says, the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It says in the King James Version, may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amplify says, and the presence and the fellowship, the communion and sharing together and participation of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word communion means fellowship, partnership to participate with. It's an intimate friendship. So how do you remain connected? Which is number three, remain connected. How do you do that? By staying in communion with the Spirit of God. And it's not something deep. It's not something spooky. Because as you know, I'm very anti-spooky. You remain connected with the Spirit of God by staying in fellowship with him by talking with him, by communicating with him. Go to 1 John chapter 1. You know, Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? The only way agreement can come from is if there's communication. 
Same way in marriage, same way with their Christian life. See, there has to be communication in your marriage. Most people's marriages fall into issues because of lack of communication or bad communication. You have to talk about everything, married people. There's nothing sexy about a budget meeting. That is not some people's like, well, when I get married, I can't wait to talk about the budget. Now, single people, you need to identify the person whom you love so much, spending habits, before you get married. Because that's a rude awakening for a lot of people. I talked to some brothers, and they're talking about, well, yeah, I want to have this budget when we get married. And their fiance is there, and she's always decked out. And I asked her, I said, have you explained to this brother what it takes to do what he likes? She's like, no, you need to have that conversation with him. Because if not, you'll get married, you'll be spending this money, and he'll be upset. Right? And then you stop doing it, and then he's upset. What happened? No communication. Or bad communication. You have to talk about everything. And the thing is, most men aren't good communicators. Fellas, please help me. I'll stop looking at me. Someone say amen. See, the thing is, people are like, oh, pastor's a great communicator. No, you're looking at the anointing. You're looking at the gift of God. Because when it lifts, I'm not that verbal. <laughs> Go, hmm, sure, whatever. You're looking at the gift of God, the anointing. It does lift at a point. But what happens, ladies, let me give you some tips. Talk with them to the point that he's able to receive. He's like, well, I got to talk about a lot of things. Break it up. One at a time. Don't overwhelm him. Because if you see his eyes glazing over, you have lost him. And although he loves you, pick the time to talk. If he's a huge football fan, don't try to talk to him during the commercials. Because you know that conversations will be longer than the commercial. Right? Now, although we have technology and they love you so much, so they'll pause and watch it later. But you can wait a little bit. Now, fellas, if she gives you that time, make sure you put yourself to have that communication. And don't try to talk in a place where you're just going to fall asleep. These are very practical tips to help your communication. <laughs> it's like, we're going to talk about it tonight. You begin knocked out. No. You have to plan to have proper communication. You have to talk about everything. You have to talk about money. You have to talk about sex. You have to talk about what you like, what you don't like. Because sometimes married people have a bad sex life because they won't talk about it. See, y'all get so nervous when I say sex. Y'all just look at me. <gasps> the pastor said sex. Sex, 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 sex. You're over it by now. You have to talk about what you like and what you don't like. Because if you don't have that communication, you will be unsatisfied in your sex life and you will open the door for Satan. First Corinthians 7 talks about if you're not, talk about pleasing each other. Because if you don't, it says, Paul said, 
that the only time you should take a sex break is for about three days. <laughs> At least I can count it on Minister Isom to give me an amen. <laughs> and then he said, only for prayer and fasting. And then come back together again because you'll be lacking self-control. You know what's come back together, man? Go and do it. Some of you married people need a word from the Lord. Go home and do it. But you have to talk about everything. Communication has to be there before marriage. It has to improve during marriage. And then you have to keep communicating in between so that you make sure you're heading in the right direction, especially when you have kids. Because what happens to a lot of married couples, have you ever seen people who they get divorced in year one, year five, year 20, year 25? You're like, well, if they got it to year 20, year 25, how do they run into those issues? What happened in between those times they had kids? So they became to be partners. Let's just raise this child, try not to get them crazy. Let's try to get them out of our house and not blow up everything in the process. I'm at the very beginning of that process, but I can already understand. But what happens as they're raising kids, kids become their life. Kids go leave the house. They don't know each other anymore. They're trying to love the person that existed when they said, I do, but that person doesn't exist. Years have gone by. Life has happened. Hopefully, they've matured. Hopefully, they have grown, but they're not the same person you met. So while you're still trying to love the person you met, you become unsatisfied. Why aren't they doing those things anymore? They're not that person. And if you don't communicate, you won't know who that person is. Because we know just naturally at certain stages in men and women's lives, they change. Personality-wise, physically, things are changing, things are happening. But you have to talk. And you have to create an environment in your home that welcomes open and honest communication. That means you have to communicate openly and honestly. And when they do, they let you know how they feel, what they're going through. Don't use that against them later on. Don't say a few weeks later, well, because you said this, here's how I'm going to get you back to shut you up. No, because then that's not a place of open and honest communication in your home. Well, that was a marriage seminar. First John chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ. We said this word fellowship means communion, partnership, participation with, intimate friendship. It's the same word we saw in 2 Corinthians 13. The first and chief mentioned purpose of John writing here is for us to walk on the same level of intimate friendship, communion, and partnership that he and others with him walked in with God. Notice God is speaking through, this, through John who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. The Holy Ghost is speaking these words through a man who is confident Jesus loves him. One of the things it talks about in this book says God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. So it is hard for you to have intimate friendship with someone if you always question their motives. See, back on marriage, trust can be rebuilt, but it's hard for it to get to that place. So don't break the trust. And I was like, well, we're having trouble in our marriage. 
That's why I have office hours. People are like, well, what does pastor do during the week? Counsel people. You having issues? Call the church. You're not an island to yourself. Don't think you're walking to my office, I'm going to judge you because you're a horrible person. You deserve hell. That's not how it goes. <laughs> Call. We're here to help you. You're single and you're struggling in your Christianity. Call. We're here to help you. Counseling session not designed to talk about all your issues. What it is is a private message to help you go to where you're supposed to go. So if you need that help, call. Don't be so prideful. And don't call when everything's blown up. Now, you can call then, and we'll help you put everything back together. But how many know it's better to call before it blows up? And say, oh, pastor, something about to blow up, but we just need that conversation real quick. That takes less time to fix than putting all the pieces back together again. God is good all the time. You can remain connected to him when you believe his motives, and when he tells you to do something, it's because he loves you, because he's good, and because he walks in the light. It's hard to want to be close to someone who you believe is going to hurt you. It's hard to get close to someone if you believe that he wants to put sickness on you to teach you something. It's hard to believe in someone or be close to someone if they want to make you broke just so you learn something. Poverty is not a tool of God. Who wants their children to be broke? CMR is on a tangent king today, so I'm going to keep going. As a community, we have to get better. We're a multicultural church, but I'm going to speak specifically to our African-American brothers and sisters. We can't have the mentality, well, I worked so hard for this, so they need to work on their own. So as soon as they turn 18, kick them out the door. Because how will they ever get further than you if they have to start where you started? They should stand on your shoulders so they can go further. We have to develop a mentality that I'm laying a foundation so the next generation can go higher. How high do we go? We keep going higher until Jesus comes back. But we will never get there if we have the mentality, well, I didn't have this, so they shouldn't have it. We have to keep building. We have to instill a mentality in our kids. You can go further than I go. They have to know that you believe in them and God believes in them. I saw once say that their inner voice becomes what you continually say to them. So you need to keep building them up. Yes, you can correct them and stop them from doing what they're doing, but you can always sandwich that correction with their purpose and how much God loves them, how much you believe in them. You can correct them, they did something crazy. After the correction is done, tell them that you believe in them and says, I corrected you because this is not the future God has for you. He has something better. And I'm correcting you in the house so the police doesn't have to correct you in the street. First John 1 verse 9. Remain connected. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you remain connected by being quick to repent. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you run for God and you wait till you feel better to come back to God. Don't let, as the old saying goes, grass grow under your feet. You mess up, you stop right then and you repent. 
Oh, do I have to cry? Do I have to run to the altar? No, just say, Father, forgive me. I messed up. I receive your forgiveness based on the blood of Jesus. And you're cleansed. The word repent is in play. What does the word repent mean? It means to hate what you just did and turn from it. Part of changing your thinking. So you repent and you confess. And one of the things is people run into issues again and again because they don't have community and they don't have accountability partners. So you will struggle if you are an island to yourself. One of the reasons we have faith groups is so that you have community. One of the reasons we're gonna do what we call First Wednesday during the summer is to enhance community. We're not just a faith teaching center where you get great high quality word and then you go home. We have to connect. We're all stronger together than we are individually. First John chapter four, verse 15, let me bring this home. Hope this is helping somebody today. Somebody prayed because I went thousand five ways that aren't in my notes. First John chapter four, verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Walking in love is extremely important in working in close partnership and maintaining an intimate friendship with God. You have to start with God loves me, but you have to move on and dwell in love. God loves me. I'm not going to be disobedient to the love command, no matter what anybody does. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I love my neighbor as I love myself. I love my neighbor as Jesus loves me. My father loves me with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus loves me as he loves himself. He carefully nourishes, the chairs and protects me each and every day. The love of God has been shed abroad, poured out in my heart by the Holy Ghost, the spirit of love who was given unto me. I'm not just a recipient of that love. I'm a conduit of that love. And Father, I desire to love people as you love me today. That's how you have to start your day. But when people try you, When your reaction is not, bless the Lord, hallelujah, glory. When you want to call them every name but a child of God and find some other words, remember the commitment to the command of love. Remember, it's a command, not a suggestion. And it's not just said, be nice to those who don't like you. It didn't say that. It says, love them. Because we have a southern way we can be nice to people. Oh, bless your darling heart and your stupid head. Walk in love. You can't walk in love unless you walk in forgiveness. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. You have to move on. You violate the law of love, be quick to repent. Quick to get back to walking in love. One of the reasons we have in our motto to experience God, experience his word, experience his presence, experience his love. I want people when they come here to experience the love of God. That when they walk in, before they ever heard me say a word, 
they've encountered people who are full of God's love. And so what happens when they do that, their hearts are already touched by the reality of God because they saw somebody who knows God enough to love people. Because people are coming in here who are unchurched, who don't know God, don't know how to act in church, but doesn't mean you just look down on them like, when's the last time they were in church? Never. Yes, you can tell them here's what you do, here's what you don't do, but you do it in a spirit of love. That means people are going to come here not dressed churchy or whatever your definition of churchy is. They look like they just came from the club. They might have. I'm so glad they woke up enough time to get into the house of God. Well, that dress is too short. That might have been the longest dress they had. But you in your self-righteous judgment self want to turn someone away from God. Where they sh- what should they be? The house of God. And as they grow connected in community, guess what happened? They'll know what to do and what not to do. As Paul said, they'll learn how to behave in the house of God. Yes, there are standards, but people don't know your standards. So, so what? They come in smelling like weed. I'm glad they're here. We can get them delivered from weed, but they first need to get here first. We have to stop arguing about methods or the bait we lay to catch people. Because what is the old adage about catch, making rabbits stew? You have to first catch the rabbit. You can't clean a fish before you catch it. And the only way people give you an opportunity to help their lives improve is if they know how much you love them, how much you care for them. We have to be people that walk in love. We have to be word people. Number four, and I'll close here. Talked about the four different pillars there's 10 standing on. One, allow God access to all areas of life. Two, increase your awareness that God lives in you. Three, remain connected. Four, deposit the word on a continual basis. Deposit the word on a continual basis. Sunday is not enough. Sunday is not enough. So if one time a week is not enough, one time a month is definitely not enough. You need to read the word every single day. You need to listen to the word preached to you every single day. You should spend time praying the word every single day. Reading the word every single day. Singing songs from the word every single day. Because what do you do every time you do that? You're putting the word in. 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 You're hiding his word in your heart so you don't sin against him. You're putting the word in. You're putting the word in. And that word will become sayings to you. And so the thing is, you may run into a situation, and you don't know what to do, but all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminds you of a scripture you put on the inside. It's his job to bring it out. It's your job to put it in. We have to be word people. We have to be faith people. We have to be love people. If we want to dwell, if we want to abide, then you go John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's how you get the word to abide in you. By reading, by listening, by saying, by singing, by praying. If it keeps abiding in you, Jesus said you can ask what you want and you'll get it. Because what happens? What if I ask for the wrong thing? If the word keeps dwelling in you and you keep abiding in God, you're not going to ask for the wrong thing. 
And notice, it's what you want. So it's not just spiritual. It's really, what do you want? God has no problem with you having things. He just doesn't want things to have you. We love people, not things. Remember we said, 1 Timothy 6, he gives you all things to richly enjoy, not to meet your needs, but for you to enjoy. So I've trained myself to say, I don't love things. So if I see an outfit or suit or a car or something that I really like, I don't say, man, I love that. I enjoy that. Because if I say it's something I enjoy, it's something that God can give to me. Because when you love things, if you love things, you'll use people to get things. But if you love people, you'll use things to love people. We do it all the time, giving food all throughout the year. We're using things to love people. Christmas toys at Christmas, we're using things to love people. We have to make sure everything is in priority if we want to dwell. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Let's thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation that it contains. We thank you for the leading of your spirit to address all the different needs that are in this room. Every head bow, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.